We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Yes, it is, and welcome back. June 8th, 2022. I am Seth Leibson. As we head into our second hour, we do so every Wednesday with Congressman David Schweikert, our congressman who represents Arizona's 6th Congressional District. Got some uh, great news, man. My gosh, David, you just were named uh, the ranking member on the Social Security Subcommittee, uh, House Ways and Means. This is good news, right? (laughs) Now do something, right? It is great news. Um, First, I have to apologize to chaos. We're in the middle of a vote series. So I'm, I'm yes, I just voted on the floor as you were picking up the phone, and I just snuck back into one of the 1920s phone booths that are just off the floor of the house. I love it. Um, so I, I love we're in the, it. We're in the middle of an 18-vote series. This is the gun control agenda okay. of the Democrats. And what they did is they took every bit of it and broke it up into a bunch of different tiny votes. And so they, so they have all sorts of different gotchas. So we're all grinding through that right now. Um, and There's I three kinds of background noise I love, actually, and encourage. Uh, elected officials voting and registering their vote, uh, children uh, laughing, and dogs barking. That's all good background for this show as far <laughs> well, as I'm concerned. And you've got two out of three. You've got two out of three. <laughs> well, yeah. On if you knew who Meatloaf um, was, I would say that ain't bad, but you don't. Yeah, I, you know, and God rest his soul. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, tell me about the gun stuff. That's interesting. Tell me how they're doing oh, this. Oh, That's sleight of hand. Um, so what they did is they functionally held no hearing. They did one um, get-together today um, and basically held like an informational hearing, but these bills were already on the floor. Um, and a lot of it, what's, what's frustrating, what's so frustrating is none of these change violence in our society. They don't change bad acts with firearms. It's back to public policy by virtue signaling to either for Democrats to raise money or to have attack pieces on Republicans. Um, and, you know, if, if you really cared, you would actually say, all right, we're going to pretend we know nothing. We know there's these horrible things that have happened in our society, but, but we don't actually know the solutions or the causes. Let's bring in every expert across the board, because I, I can show you uh, on my laptop right next to me is a rather thick, geeky article talking about how many of the teenage male mass shooters were actually suicidal. Yeah. That this was a... Yeah type of suicide right right um in and and they're part of the argument from the academics writing this thing their model says actually a suicide prevention model sure is the path to stop these bad acts sure i mean a partial you know it, it is it's more complicated uh, oh well, well but no one's talking about it really and it needs to be well but, but also the, look at Alyssa finley's piece in the wall street journal on marijuana and violence in schools oh yeah i read that it's fascinating yeah. that sort of goes into the paranoia and everything yeah, else yeah. but 
you talk about things like that if you actually really love and care about people and want to solve the problem. Congress is no longer in the solving problem business. We're in the theatrical business. We raise money. These members around me raise money by saying theatrical things. Mm -hmm. And that's what's so dangerous about what happened to me today. Um, you know, I got named the Republican. If we, when we take the majority, I, if I choose to keep it, I'll be the chairman over Social Security. And it's a multi, multi, multi-trillion dollar problem right now. It's a trillion bucks it's a year. It's kind of like what Truman said when he became president. He said, I feel like all the all the earth and stars have fallen on me, you know? you know. Yeah, and, uh, well, and, and look, I'm the idiot that asked for this. Um, <laughs> I believe, well, but, but over the next 30 years, the drivers of U.S. sovereign debt are Medicare shortfall and Social Security. And unless we're willing to get our heads bashed in and actually work on a model that fixes the problem, we're screwing over the next generation. But people on Social Security, a decade from now, you know, it's, it's like 138 months. Um, people on Social Security are taking a 27% cut. And that's not even calculating in the amount of their Social Security check that's going to go to the incredible growth in costs in Medicare. You know, if you're on Medicare and you're paying 20%, um, what happens when... Medicare costs double. That 20% you're paying today just doubled also. Um, and now to add in a 27% cut on your Social Security. These are big, complex. There are solutions, and none of them are easy. And there becomes the problem. The triteness, the silliness, the, the, the juvenile nature of our modern politics when you have multi-trillion dollar issues, problems, crises that if you don't fix it you're going to throw a third of retirees into into poverty this isn't a game david uh david schweikert is our guest david about what 15 16 years ago somewhere around 2006 or so i remember the big debate in washington when i was there with regard to social security was allowing people oh yeah you remember this allowing people to put have the choice uh, of putting portions of it into the uh, just a small sliver yeah, yeah. To Stabilize the fund for that was such a big fight, and I wonder is that still a is it still a good idea, or is, is the time come and gone for that? Is that uh, it's the thing I get asked a lot about. I I'm not smart on this. You are. Yeah, we're we're 20 years out of date now. Okay. Um, look, okay. it was in some ways it was the moral thing to do for younger than baby boomers. Uh huh. Um. But we didn't do it. And, and partially that way, that population would have had a much higher rate of return. Right. Meaning that the future shortfalls would have been less. I remember that um, argument. I remember the example but, of Galveston or something. Yeah. But, but, you know, we're functionally, what, um, five years away and in, uh, almost all the baby booms into retirement. Yeah. 65 okay. and old. Okay, so that so whole population missed it, missed it anyway. Yeah, we yeah. missed okay. the demographic curve. The, the opportunity to do what you would call entitlement reform, mm -hmm. where you adjust payments, just retirement dates, those things. The baby boom population, what is it? They all, 67 million of them um, are already well into retirement. Yeah. They're, they're, they're up against, we, we, we needed to do that 20 years ago. So everyone that's listening saying, you've heard this before. The problem is every day... 10,300 more Americans turn 65, 
and every day the fix becomes more difficult because the dollar shortfall for Social Security it's about twenty five trillion um, over the next thirty years. I got you, but it's the cut. Remember that twenty five trillion is calculated that you're going to cut Social Security recipients in eleven twelve years by twenty seven percent. How many of you can handle a twenty seven percent cut and a dramatic rise? And how much of the check is stripped out going to Medicare? David, the other thought that came along in those in those debates, and I guess it's been around even longer, and it may be even more distasteful, I'll just run it by you for the yay or nay or a quick analysis if you want, was the idea of means testing Social Security. Is that a flag that flies or not really? No, because there's ways to approach it, but remember, Social Security was a different type of contract. It was... This is sort of a forced retirement system. It was originally meant to be a poverty. Um, uh, you know, when Social Security began, what, 60, 70 years ago, right. it, it, we had a, a, a lot of our older Americans were living in poverty. Now, also, the average age of a male, you know, um, life expectancy was about 64 years old. Mm-hmm. Not 65, 64. Mm-hmm. But... The history lessons are great, but that doesn't help me solve the problem. The, the problems are going to require a bunch of creative, complex ideas. You know, incentives, hey, we're going to give you a fifth if you keep working. Hey, once you've hit your, you know, your number of quarters that are required to fully vest Social Security, is there other things we could do to keep you in productive employment? Hey, if you have lots of assets. Would you let us give you a block payment and then take you out of the Social Security system so we can get rid of your future liability? There's about, we have come up with about 27 levers. Many of them are very difficult, but you got to deal with the reality. Um, Every day we wait, this becomes harder. I wonder, can you stay another segment or do you have to go back to the floor? No, um, I can stay another segment, but there's going to be one moment where it gets really noisy because I'm going to sneak on the floor and vote. Good, I love it. Good, I love it. We'll be right back because I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the political saleability of maybe Americans are now willing to do the harder things. I mean, they're doing it in San Francisco. <laughs> maybe maybe they're willing to do it, uh, do it uh, across the rest of the country, too. I want to talk about that with you, and I want to talk about uh, you had Janet Yellen in your sights. Uh, she was in front of your committee. And I want to talk about that as well on the issue of inflation. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Congressman David Schweikert. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. I'm Seth. He on the guest line is Congressman David Schweikert, representing our 6th District and now recently named ranking member of the Subcommittee on Social Security for the House House Ways and Means Committee. Well done, David. Uh, uh, speaking of Social Security, right before the break, we were talking about, you know, we have some big and hard things to do. Uh, to govern is to choose. To vote is to choose. Um, and maybe maybe things get bad enough we are willing to actually take on the hard stuff. What's your sense of that, and what is some of this hard stuff? Look, um, the tradition in Congress is they often will not do those things that are difficult until it's a crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're dealing with something like Social Security or even Medicare, it... it, 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 it it's like taking an aircraft carrier and wanting to turn it on a dime. 
It, mm-hmm. doesn't, it just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So how do you get up in front of an audience and say, look, we're going to do this, 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 and this, and, um, and there's a chance there's going to be, you know, um, tax implication or implications. There's going to be incentives. You know, here's our package of ideas. Um, but we don't have a choice. We have a moral obligation to protect the system. This was a promise. Um, it's just a promise where the math didn't work. And now I got to make the math work. And look, I've been just already been teased like crazy for the last two hours, you know, accepting the position. Um, a number of members here say you do realize that this is one of the most dangerous things you can do in Congress is take the responsibility of trying to fix Social Security. They used to call it the third rail, didn't they? Oh, yeah. And it still is. Because you have groups out there that send you, you know, send older Americans, hey, you know, send us $50 and fill out this pledge saying don't touch Medicare, don't touch Social Security. What they don't tell you is it's collapsing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so are Americans, are the politically engaged ready for adult conversation? Mm-hmm. Saying this is a thing called a calculator. This is how the math works. Um, because there are solutions out there. You know, I have one Democrat who came up to me a little while ago and said, you know, raise the taxes, do this and that. But when you model it, because this has been modeled before, the tax increase is so massive, it actually slows down economic growth to the point that the number of workers paying FICA tax actually also slows down, and you only get a marginal amount of new revenue. I gotcha. I mean, we're talking scales that are hard for people to get their heads around. Okay. By the way, David, this is is a little bit on that point, just a little bit. A a listener emailed me to ask you, are there statistics for those – I don't mean this in any gruesome sense, but it's it's a real question. Are there statistics for those who die before they reach Social Security, Medicare eligibility, and and is that taken into account in the math and the budget? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, That that was actually one of the things that pushed away is as longevity has increased, but retirement age has not increased as much. Now, we've had the last couple years, mortality numbers have actually fallen – in the mean age, meaning whether it be COVID deaths, um, opiate deaths, suicides, those things, mm-hmm. have actually pulled down some of the longevity statistics. But there is some math that once you get beyond a certain age, you know, if you're healthy, um, COVID has been sort of a mathematical outlier. Um, but yes, and if anyone ever really, really wants to geek out on this, just go hit your favorite search engine, use DuckDuckGo or something like that, and look up the Social Security Medicare Actuary Report. And mm-hmm. it's not as hard to read as it sounds. Okay. <laughs> it's long. It's long. But within there, they walk you through different scenarios of, here's also what happens if inflation is this high. Here's what happens if inflation is this high. Mm-hmm. And you can see just the scale of, uh, of the complication. But it's important folks get to know that. The other thing I would recommend if someone really wants to get educated on what's about to happen to your country, there's a gentleman named Brian Riddell. Oh, I love Brian. Manha- yeah, Brian. I don't know if anyone bu- knows the budget better than he does. He doesn't. No one knows, and that's why he is so important to us. Manhattan Institute, just go look him up and look at his slides. He has a whole package of 
slides where, and I've worked with them on these, trying to make it so it's understandable the scale of the problem. Because you get idiots in the political class, and it's some of my own, my friends who will say, it's waste and fraud. Our Democrats will say, uh, yeah, I've heard that for 50 years. A little bit yeah, more. Yeah. And you go to the Brian Riddell slides, and you take a look at the numbers, and you realize they don't do anything. I right. mean, it's they, they, a rounding error. Yeah. You, you pick up a little bit here. Now, you still need to do them. Yeah. You need to get rid of waste and fraud. It's not big enough to solve the math problem. Right. It's its own problem. It's not the math problem. By the way, for people that want to follow up on that, Brian... Brian Riedel, R-I-E-D-L, or just go to manhattan-institute.org. David, just real quickly, unless you have to go take the vote, you uh, segued a little bit to inflation. You had Janet Yellen there. You talked to her about the uh, Made in America tax they're causing. Any good takeaways that we should know about from your interactions or her interactions with She's your committee? brilliant at not answering questions. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, I, look, you get three and a half minutes, the Democrats, the tyranny of the clock. The Democrats make it so we have almost no opportunity to truly ask important questions. So they give hand you three and a half minutes, and I had just two simple questions. Have they at Treasury started to look at how much inflation is hurting young people, but also really hitting people in retirement? And have they looked at it that if inflation continues for a few years, how much of our retirement population will be in poverty? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. She didn't want to talk about it. Then talked about, okay, you want to do this global minimum tax. But the rest of the country screws us. Excuse me. Sorry for the language. Um, but they do a thing where they refund their value-added tax to things they export. But when we try to sell them things, they put that value-added tax back on it, meaning that they get other countries have this huge tax arbitrage when they sell us things. How does that make a global minimum tax fair to the United States when all it means is we've raised our income taxes like everyone else, but they're still sticking it to us by refunding their value-added tax, which in a country like Germany is 18.5% right. when they sell this thing. Right. So their product shows up cheaper on mm-hmm. our shore. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, she had no interest in talking about that, uh, but she, God, she was good at avoiding the question. Yeah, they just seem the whole group of them. I got to tell you, David, they just seem so um, impervious to the scale of the problem people are facing outside the Beltway. They just—I was—it's not callous. They just seem almost as if it doesn't exist. It's—it's um, it's as if you're—you're you're reading one book and they're reading another. What What happened last week when she started to admit that she was wrong yeah, on inflation? exactly. And the left lost their mind. Yeah, exactly. We're up against the break, buddy. David Schweikert, thank you uh, for taking time in between the important votes today. Thanks for taking time with us every Wednesday and for everything else you are and do. Bless you, sir. Godspeed till next week. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. If you are uh, looking for a really interesting and remarkably great, unique investment opportunity, I want you to check out my friends at Y Refi. They are offering a fixed, no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors in a collateralized, secure portfolio. Y Refi is in the business of helping people dig out of debt the right way by actually paying off their debts, doing so with dignity and getting great benefits from it in and of itself, as well as things like FICO score 
Recovery. And they are a due diligence approved firm that you can be a part of too. Check them out at, at investyrefi.com. That's the word invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com or 855-316-3087. Local company. You can go check them out and go visit with them. They won't give you a sales pitch. They're just happy to talk with you about what they do and let it speak for itself. Again, investyrefi.com. I was um, I was uh, propounding a thesis. It's, it's, it's something I'm still working on, and maybe you guys will have feedback on it or not agree with it, which is helpful too, uh, about – you know the two kinds of leftists in America. In the in the previous hour, I was talking about. There's the leftist who um, truly does want to destroy this country. Truly does think that this country is uh, a bad place. Uh, truly is uh, not worth saving. Think of uh, the radicals uh, the, of of your. Think of your your socialist movements. Think of your Marxist organizations. Think of your uh, Weather Underground, for example, Chesa Boudin being in the news, the San Francisco um, DA who was voted out of office. Think of people like his mom, uh, his mom who was a domestic terrorist. They just wanted to – they just hated America. They spelled it with a K. They burnt the flag. They don't like this country. That's one kind of leftist. The other kind I think of as uh, – for better or worse, think of uh, – think of – Barack Obama or Joe Biden, who talk about transforming this country, we we see it as them hate, uh, wanting to destroy this country. In their view, it's not destroying. They see this thing as a good place. It's just that their views are wrong. Their idea of good is not our idea of good. Their idea of good is bad. Uh, their idea of decent is wrong. They are simply wrong on public policy. They're wrong on political philosophy. Uh, they're wrong on social science. They're just wrong. I think those that's, that's a thesis I'm kind of playing with. But then you get into an area that makes it really hard to find those distinctions. The folks at Issues and Insights write, uh, deliberate and intentional. Two words you can expect Republicans to utter a lot more as they make the case that what ails America now isn't an accident. It's by de- design, by the Democratic Party's and Joe Biden's design. You listen to uh, John Solomon, uh, Solomon. He's often uh, on, on Seb Gorka's show. He's uh, the editor of Just the News. He characterizes the shift in tone among Republicans in the run-up to the med- midterm elect- elections this very way. The leftist media is sure to attack our language as crazy and dangerous conspiracy talk, that there is a deliberate and intentional effort to uh, to uh, to to take down America, but ask yourself, what would Biden be doing differently if his goal was to purposely send the country into a tailspin? Right, Bill's shaking his head. He set off a forty-decade-high inflation spiral with a two-trillion-dollar quote-unquote rescue plan. He exacerbated supply chain problems by paying people not to work. He threw open the border. To millions of illegal immigrants. He needlessly kept COVID mandates and restrictions in place. He worsened shortages of baby formula and spiking gasoline prices. He encouraged foreign adversaries with his disastrous Afghanistan retreat. In every instance, 
Biden has said he and his top officials were simply caught off guard. In other words, his is to plead incompetence. The public has picked up on this, which is why most Americans now believe that incompetent is the word that best describes this president. But it doesn't do this president justice. In every case, Biden knew or should have known what would happen if he pushed his policies, and he did so anyway. And if he's too out of it to know, there are people around him, like Ron Klain, who should know. There are people around him, like his cabinet secretaries, who should know. There are people around him, like Susan Rice, the head of his domestic policy. Where is Susan Rice? She is the head of the Domestic Policy Council in the White House. Where is she on supply chain? Where is she on baby form? Where is she on any of the domestic? I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. By the good people at Balance of Nature. They're good people because they make a great product, but they're also dedicated to helping Americans relearn and study American history through some of their nonprofit work we've talked about here and we'll talk about more later. Meanwhile, they make a fantastic product to boost your immunity health and energy with 100% natural fruits and veggies. The whole product is 100% natural, not 99 and 44, 100% natural, 100%. I take it every single day. Balanceofnature.com. They're fruits and veggies, pure, potent plant power. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. And since it's Wednesday, we are delighted to check in with Brett Johnson, our constitutional attorney, our friend over at the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm, SWLaw.com. Brett Johnson, welcome back. Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, Seth. I saw a movie with someone that looked just like you, and you pointed out, mm, he's Army. <laughs> it's a general in a uniform. Wasn't a very good movie, but he looked just like <laughs> you're. Yeah, you're a tough yeah. customer, man. You're a tough customer. Uh, absolutely, and you know what? I, I love I love the army, except for one day a year. So it's the army navy. <laughs> All right. At the risk of not isolating too much of my audience on that front, Brett, let's uh, let's talk about something that I know a lot of people have been thinking about, and you've been examining yourself. You and your team have been. And that's this whole issue of uh, election irregularity lawsuits, election fraud lawsuits, um, and lawsuits related to the elections so far. We've had some. Uh, we've had a lot, actually, that we've covered in a lot of different states. you want to give us what you have found so far? You've looked at everything from Texas to South Dakota. Yes, and, and it, it was interesting, and quite honestly, I was surprised. And, and rarely am I surprised. Um, and one of one of the things is that we've had a ton of primaries over the last uh, few months, um, and what we we kind of had expected were a lot of lawsuits about the election administration. Mm-hmm. So basically, challenges to um, a variety of different uh, issues that we may have seen in the 2020 election. And and what it came down to is that actually, so far, with the primaries that have taken place, and California was just yesterday, New Mexico was just yesterday, we have seen very few lawsuits about the actual administration of of an election. Mm -hmm. We have quite a few lawsuits about election laws, so let's let's separate those. You know, people saying, hey, uh, the, the, the election law is not authorized or we should be doing something different that that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about the actual day of the election and irregularity as to something that happened challenges yeah challenges to the result yeah Mm -hmm. or the outcome exactly Mm -hmm. 
And and quite honestly, we really, if you kind of parse them all out, there's a few, again, um, um, issues between um, uh, minor, minor issues, but the, the Pennsylvania one was the only one that was uh, of, of note, and that was the McCormick versus Oz uh, case, mm-hmm. dealing with the uh, signatures that were on the mail-in ballots mm-hmm. and whether or not those should be counted underneath Pennsylvania law and whether or not the Pennsylvania law was unconstitutional. Um, and, and that actually went all the way up to uh, the Supreme Court, Justice Alito. And then um, Justice Alito uh, basically um, said that the Supreme Court was going to take the case. But again, um, Mr. McCormick actually um, um, conceded that case. Yeah, that case has not been dismissed yet, but, but uh, has conceded the election. Um, and, and so it looks like that one's not going to be going forward either. So it's just interesting Usually around the primaries, people are kicking the tires. It's been two years. How's the election administration? We usually see a little bit more action right now as to election-type cases, um, that people are not doing their jobs, per se, or there's fraud, and we're just not seeing it right now. So I thought that was an interesting little factor um, to, to, to bring up. Definitely not something we've seen before in, in different contexts. Do you think part and parcel of this, Brett, I, I said, by the way, you looked at things from Texas to South Dakota. I, I realize that's not the biggest of range, but you looked at a lot of states, Illinois, Ohio, West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Alaska, uh, all of them. Uh, Brett, is part of the conclusion you would draw looking at this stuff, you would be the kind of attorney someone would hire to engage in this kind of stuff? Uh, that the administrators are, you know, they're they're on their toes now. They know we're watching. They know they they know they know the funny funny business is no longer tolerated. Maybe, I'm, okay. and I'm going to put two caveats on that. Okay. Is, is I definitely think that they everybody's on their um, dotting their eyes and crossing their t's um, as to the administration because they know all eyes are on this election. Yeah. So that's definitely an issue. Okay. The other um, concept that we've talked about before. Are lawyers necessarily afraid of bringing cases because there's not necessarily that evidence that's out there? So traditionally, unless you can prove that a fraud or a negligence or you know poll worker error actually impacted the election, like prove it with with actual true, uh-huh. um, you know, Brett voted, Seth voted, mm-hmm. um, then you wouldn't necessarily be able to bring that case because unless it impacted the election, you wouldn't be able to do it. That's what happened to McCormick. McCormick said, hey, listen, if, if these ballots are counted, I might win. And so that's a traditional election case. So I see um, some election lawyers maybe being very careful as to bringing the cases. So I'm not trying to say that the election administration is perfect by right. any means, right. but it's, it's, it's more of a traditional analysis that we're seeing. Brett, bring it home a little locally, if you don't mind, too, because you were, you were a bit involved in the San, Lu- uh, San Luis and Yuma investigations a little bit. Or if, if, if yeah, you, yeah, you know, and, and it, it is interesting. So there's a lot of talk right now about ballot harvesting. Um, and I call it ballot harvesting because that's what I've called it forever. <laughs> um, if you're on, on the other side of me on, on multiple cases, you call it ballot collecting, and you actually consider it offensive when I call it ballot harvesting. <laughs> we'll call it ballot, call harvesting ballot harvesting here, harvesting. yes. We, we'll our dic- our moral dictionary is ballot harvesting. You know, you know, it, it's funny is, is that, by the way, when Republicans do it, it's ballot harvesting. Democrats do it, it's called ballot collecting. Yeah, so of course. Yes. Throwing out the terminology. Yes. Um, but but in, in Arizona, we, we actually had, and I was, I was one of the counsel on the case that actually went to the Supreme Court. It was called uh, Bernovich versus the uh, DNC. 
And, and in that case, ballot harvesting was a huge part. And part of what the court was saying is, show me where ballot harvesting has occurred. Now, and we, we were able to. We were able to show it in San Luis um, of going way back where um, there, were, there were individuals that were trying to go around and collect um, ballots. And then they, what they would actually do is sit down with the individual and fill in the ballot themselves. And that, that, was, that was proven under a civil standard not a criminal standard. A civil standard is a preponderance of evidence. Criminal standard is beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. And you see that um, more, more and more where prosecutors are like, I cannot prove that to a beyond a reasonable doubt. And that happened in San Luis. It was, it was a proven, proven fact that the court did consider in our, in our case. In addition, you know, we actually had uh, some Democratic officials, Democrat officials, um, it come testify about their experiences. There was actually a Maricopa County recorder, the deputy who was in charge of elections, who was a Democrat, because usually most election offices, make people understand this, it's bipartisan. There's usually one Republican and one Democrat um, who, who kind of run the office, and they try to keep that balance. And, and he had a ballot harvester who showed up at his door, knocked on the door, and they said, here, I'm, I'm, I'm from the county recorder's office. I'm here to pick up your ballot. And, and he basically challenged that individual and actually pointed to his shirt that said Maricopa County Recorder's Office, and the guy ran away. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and those stories just go on and on. And those people testified under oath as, as this is happening in, in Arizona. So, and it's not just, by the way, uh, and they're very sophisticated. I need to start with here. They're very sophisticated operation. Yeah. They have cell phones. They know that the person hasn't voted. They're they sending their mail-in ballot, and they walk through the sophistication um, of the operation to collect these ballots. And it is both sides, by the way. Mm-hmm. So, North Carolina in, the, in uh, the last cycle, there was a big case about Republicans also doing the same activity. And, and trying to collect ballots, so it's a it, it is it is an issue, and this is why many states are changing their laws to outlaw the concept of ballot harvesting right. because you can't control that chain of custody. That's it's right. so important yeah. between the voter getting to the actual machine that is counting the vote. Oh, it's it's exactly right. It's it's how we're, it's how we're governed. It's it's the chain of custody that's as important uh, in a criminal case collecting evidence as it is the verdict between uh, the jury and the judge's announcement. It really is. It's all to me a, 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 of a piece uh, the sanctity of that that chain of custody. Well, Brett, thank you as always. I look forward to these discussions every week. Brett Johnson, partner at the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm, swlaw.com. Brett, until next week, Godspeed. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You betcha. As we go to break, let me put in a word for the Midas Gold Group. If you're looking to protect your assets or your retirement, you may want precious metals in your portfolio. The veteran-owned Midas Gold Group is my go-to. I own gold and silver from Midas Gold Group. You can, too. They're the only ones I trust. I know these guys. I like them. They're great people. They're just like you, at least in our political outlook. Check them out at Midas Gold Group. Dot com. That's MidasGoldGroup.com. And tell them I sent you. The uh, Cool Touch ad. I love the people at Cool Touch. That's the only company I use for air conditioning, heating, and plumbing. The only one I recommend. 17 years in business. A-plus rating with the BBB. I know Chris Funk, and I know a lot of his team. They are just great 
great people. I love their saying, when it comes to hiring, Cool Touch believes that it's easier to teach a good person about AC than it is to teach a technician how to be a good person. They are great people and great technicians. If you have air conditioning or plumbing problems, we'll deal with heat in the wintertime, but if you have any air conditioning or plumbing problems, give them a call at 623-734-1932 or visit them at cooltouchac.com. cooltouchac.com. They're waiving their uh, diagnostic uh, fees for our listeners right now, so tell them that we uh, sent you there. I was just kind of thinking about what Brett was talking about, chain of custody, integrity of the process, integrity of the process, integrity of the citizen, integrity generally. You know, Brett's a Navy man. The old Navy term for when when a ship goes off, the first thing the captain, does the ship have integrity? Does it mean it means it's a question about whether the ship is watertight? Can no water get in? We should be as certain about our elections as we are about the safety of a ship going out to sea. Honestly, we really should. And it goes to the citizens as well. Is the politician we're looking at, the public leader, the public official we're voting for, do they have integrity? If they don't have integrity, how can you expect them to govern with or vote? on things important to maintaining integrity, whether it's about our country, the integrity of our country, which includes its borders and sovereignty and other things, our elections and our people. I'm Seth Liebson. Monologue coming up. We'll be right back.